Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org. Today, we're going to jump into a message the Lord dropped on me on Friday. I'm going to preach out a passage I've never preached out of before, so it's exciting for me, uh, called The God of Generations. Say that with me. The God of Generations. And we have a fancy graphic for you. We're going to throw up because I want you to see this handing off. I want you to see this moving together. I want you to see that God is not the God of a single generation. He's not the God of you. He's the God of us. He's the God of a multi-generational perspective. And the church is in desperate need of losing her selfishness. One person agrees. <clears throat> Amen. Or two or more. I got two. We're good. Right? Come on. The church is in desperate need of losing her selfishness. One way we are extremely selfish is we only build for one generation. And that is not the way God builds. So God wants to shift his church from building selfishly to creating generational legacy. Generational legacy is in God's heart. We're going to talk about it. We're going to go to Mark chapter 12. We're going to read verse 18 through 27. Uh, And it's Jesus speaking to the Sadducees. But let's pray for that, this word. Let's pray for that concept. And let's say yes and amen. So, Father, we thank you for your plan, for your blueprint, for your design, that you are not a one-generation God, that you are a multi-generational, that you think in family lines. God, we're grateful for that. We say yes and amen to your desire for our family, for our physical and spiritual downline. Lord, we thank you for it. We say yes to your desires for those who will come after us. Come on, somebody, say yes. We say yes to your desires for those who will come after us. And God, we ask you today to help us step into the flow and assist and anoint and appoint that flow and not resist it through selfishness. In Jesus' name we pray for your word to come through. Lord God, I pray for a powerful manifestation of the Son of the living God in this moment as we open your written word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen? Amen. Mark 12, 18 through 27, it says, the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. That's why they were sad, you see. Uh, It's terrible. I I might not do it later. I had to do it once today. (laughs) There's no resurrection. They're sad, you see. Okay. Uh, that's how you actually remember, though, little Bible facts. Pharisees believed in it. They believed in the supernatural. Sadducees didn't. It was very sad. They didn't believe in them. Okay. So the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection, and they asked him a question, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and when he left, or when he died, he left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third, likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died. In the resurrection, when they rise again, whose wife will she be? For she had, the seven had her as a wife. Jesus said to them, is this not the reason you are wrong Because you neither know the scriptures nor the power of God. Say that with me. The scriptures or the power of God. 
For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong. I love it when Jesus gets his pointy finger out. And it's like, you're wrong. Wrong. I love it. I love it when he's direct. He's very often mysterious. My favorite moments are he's like, nope, yes, wrong, right. I don't know. Anybody else comforted by these moments? Like, okay, you are quite wrong. I'm okay with Jesus saying that to me, you know? And this was a moment where the Sadducees are trying, they come to him with a, a gotcha question, you know? It's like a reporter coming up to a, a political figure with a gotcha question. There's no easy way. There's no right way to answer it because the way the question's framed, you're caught, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, here's another way you can think about it. Sometimes people ask questions, but they're really making statements, right? And spouses do this all the time, like, are you going to do the dishes? That's not a question. Husbands, listen to me. That's not a question. It has a question mark on it. But do not be deceived. There were no questions asked. You understand what I'm saying? Sometimes people come with a question, but they're really making a statement. Other times people come with a question, and it's like, I gotcha. I'm gonna, it frames you to where you can't actually answer in a, a way that makes you uh, not sound bad, right? So Jesus having you know, all wisdom, being the person of wisdom, just takes them to task, and it's wonderful. And we're going to talk about the, the nature of what he said and what it means for us in this concept of the God of generations. But I want to share with you a quote by a man named Joseph Matera. He's become a spiritual mentor of mine. He's an amazing author. I'm reading his book, uh, Walking in Generational Blessings. A lot of people talk about generational curses. He says, let's talk about the generational blessings of God. It's awesome. Highly recommend it. And he says this. He says, it, listen to this very closely. He says, it takes at least three generations to unpack what God is doing in your family line. We don't think like that. I'm going to say it again. It takes at least three generations to unpack what God is doing in your family line, according to Joseph Matera, and I think he's right. Jesus, in referring to the Sadducees and their gotcha question, he talks about the God of Abraham. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are three generations. I want to take you back just really quickly that Abraham, so you understand, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham was the father of faith. You understand? He was the progenitor. He's the beginning of what it means to be counted righteous by faith. He's the first one counted righteous because of his faith. The very first one. Say the father of faith. Okay, so that's Genesis 12, 1 through 4. I don't have it on the screens, but I'm just going to paraphrase this for time. God actually says to him, leave your country, leave your family, and go to a land that I will show you. He doesn't say where. He just says go. And he says, I'll make you a great nation. Say great nation. He says, I'll bless you. I'll make your name great, great, and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who curse you. or I'll bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, rather. Sorry, I'm paraphrasing. But it says Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. 75 years old was when his story with God began. You might be like, well, it's the end of his life. What good is he? God is not a one-generational God. Your filter just kicked in. You're thinking, well, that's late in life. No, it's not. It's not late in the lifeline of God's people. 
Okay. So in Romans 4, just some references for you. So that was Genesis 12, 1 through 4. You can do your own study. Romans 4, 11 through 12. You should read this later. It talks about Abraham receiving the sign of circumcision later. He received it as a confirmation of the faith he already had. It confirms that he was the father of faith. And then Galatians 3, 7 says, we know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Galatians 3, 7. Are you hearing this? Abraham was the father of faith. But what about Isaac? He's not just the God of Abraham. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. What about Isaac? Isaac was the child of promise. He was the fulfillment of a word from God to Abraham that he would have a son even in his old age. You know the whole story. Uh, Abraham is impatient, uh, gets with Hagar, his servants. Uh, his wife tells him to do it. You know, it's not a, not a good thing. Not a good moment, not a good look, right? But he does. He's, he's the bonehead in this situation, not her, all right? So, because he actually did the deed, all right? So, he has Ishmael, causes all these problems, and then we have all this calamity and all this strife in between, right? But Isaac was the one who God promised, said, wait for Isaac, right? And he was circumcised on the eighth day of his life. That's Genesis 21.4. And that is a symbolic and prophetic archetype for us. That we are children of promise, set free from the nature of sin. Circumcision, removal of the foreskin is a removal of the old nature. Are you following me? I got to go fast today. So just, you okay? Everybody okay? All right. I would just like to check on you every now and then. Keep up. Here we go. All right. Galatians 4.28 says, you brothers are like Isaac, children of promise. So this is talking about us in that passage in Galatians 4 talks about how we're not sons of the slave woman. Hagar, we're sons of the free woman, Sarah. So we're free children, born of promise, set free from sin. That's Isaac. And then Jacob. Jacob was the father of an entire nation. He was named Israel after he wrestled with God and had 12 sons that would be the 12 tribes of Israel. Okay, so Genesis 3, 32, 28, I'm just going to throw you references, and you're going to have to go research it on your own for time. Genesis 32, 28, that's where that happens. Genesis 35, 23 to 26 is where it gives an account of Jacob's 12 sons who become the progenitors of the 12 tribes of Israel. Are you following? So you have Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When, a when God called Abraham, listen, when God called Abraham out of the land of his father, he was thinking of the birth of a nation three generations later. He said to Abraham that he would make him a great nation. But a great nation didn't even begin until his grandchildren, grandson's children. I botched that. I'm going to try it again. He said to Abraham he would make him a great nation. But a great nation didn't even begin until his grandson's children. We cannot be so narrow-minded to think that God is calling us and it ends with us. It begins with us. It never ends with us. Let me say it this way. It may begin with us, but it never ends with us. That is not God's plan. We have to see the heart and nature of God to bless generations through us. You understand Abraham died before God ever made Abraham a great nation. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Do you see how we're so one generationally minded? It's me, myself, and I. If it's got to be, it's up to me. All these things. The church has adopted this selfish, self-centered, single-generation lens from the world. 
But generational legacy is what God wants, and it requires revelation. I hope you already got one this morning. It requires illumination of the Word of God. I hope you just got one. Like, wow. God said, either God's a lie, he lied to Abraham, right? I'll make you a great nation. Or he did make him a great nation, and we don't understand the way God works through generational legacy. Are you following? Okay. Back to Mark 12, where Jesus is talking to the, the sad guys, all right? He says, you're mistaken. This is the Passion Translation, Mark 12, 24 in the Passion. It says, you are mistaken because your hearts are not filled with the revelation of the Scriptures or the power of God. The Sadducees were without the light of revelation concerning the written word. They were darkened in their thinking. They did not receive the illumination of the Holy Spirit concerning these issues. They were thinking, see, there can't be any resurrection because there's going to be problems. Whose wife will she be? They were trying to pin him down. Are you hearing this? Like, see, your, your, your resurrection theology, it doesn't work because of A, B, C, D, E. It doesn't make sense because the law says it has to leave children in it. They don't. They have to go through the brothers. Aren't you glad you're not under the law, ladies? Isn't that great? I'm grateful for the new covenant. Hallelujah. Right? Because, like, my bro, you know, my brother passed away. I just have, I have his wife. No, no choice. It's like, don't get, I don't get to, you know. No, not a good, not fun. Anyway, we have to receive revelation concerning the word. Sorry, was that awkward? I don't know. <laughs> When we do not receive illumination from the Holy Spirit, we're left without the essence and meaning of the Word of God. We might know what it says, but we're left without the essence and the meaning. People are like, I just, that's what the Bible says. I believe the Bible. That's kind of a trap sometimes. Because you're saying you believe what you understand about what the Bible says. And oftentimes we're saying, I just want a plain reading of Scripture. I just want, you just, it's what the Bible says. That's what it says. I believe it. Done. You know what you're actually doing? You're elevating your understanding as an idol above the revelation light of God. Because you may be wrong about that passage. You may be wrong about that Scripture. You might have been taught wrong about it. Oh, no. Oh, can't ever be taught wrong. Right? Come on. I don't need to be right. I need to know the truth. The Sadducees, this concept, they were focused on the single generation of a family. One woman, multiple brothers. Are you hearing this? They missed the essence of what it means to actually be married and to be called to carry and replicate the image and likeness of God. Did you know the first command of God to mankind is to be fruitful and multiply? Why do you think there's such an attack on children? Why do you think there's such an attack on marriage? On covenant, because the first thing out of God's mouth was be fruitful and multiply. Genesis 1, 28, just so you know. That is the first command of God to the human race. You don't think that the enemy started taking notes right then, like, oh, that's the first thing you're going to tell him? That's the first thing I'm going to pervert. It's exactly what he does. This can apply to physical and spiritual children, amen, but God wants to build generationally. And we need revelation of that. So they weren't only without revelation. They were without the light of revelation concerning the power of God. When we don't understand God's power to carry us into eternity, we're left without an understanding of his true purposes. God does not look at your life as an 80, 90, 100 years, and then you shed your tent and it's done. That is not how God sees your life. You are a spiritual being 
having a physical experience. And you will no longer have that physical experience at one point, but you will still be a spiritual being. And there's an eternity for you based on what you receive from the hand of God or what you don't. You understand all who are in hell choose it. God says, here, take this. I forgive you. And those who say, no, because why not? Because I don't, I don't, I don't believe it. It's not true. It doesn't happen. That's a decision, an eternal decision. It is. I know. You don't like talking about hell. If heaven's real, hell is real. I mean, like, you can't, like, pick your poison here. I mean, it's just like, ah. I'll take heaven, no hell. Thank you very much. What? The Sadducees were attempting to disprove the reality of the resurrection. You understand? They were trying to disprove the reality of eternity. They thought the physical life was all there was. You pass it down, and whatever you pass down here is that's it. There's no more life after this. That's what they thought. And they were trying to use a technicality with the law of marriage. They missed the purpose of the power of God to multiply his image and likeness through image or through marriage. You understand that's what it is? Right? Like, we, I have two boys. Jamadi and I have been really good at replicating our images. Okay? Judah, my six-year-old, is me. Like, 100%. Shiloh is her. They, she, he is the male version of her in personality, looks, in every single way. Judah even, like, he rubs his feet at night the same way I do when he's going to sleep. He's never seen me do that. It's never like, this is what we do. We rub our feet to go to sleep. He just does it. <laughs> he sits with his legs crossed the same way I do on the couch. He, Shiloh does, and he's just like, you know. <laughs> you know? It's crazy how this, the power of God to pass on image and likeness. Amen. They missed the fact that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were not dead, but alive. You understand those are not dead men we're talking about? This is where I get in trouble. Like, okay, you know the Bible says don't speak with the dead, right? You know, it says that. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's uh, what is it, Necro, necromancy. Thank you, Scott. Now I look to him for words. Necromancy. Don't do it. Did Jesus commit necromancy on the Mount of Transfiguration? When he spoke to Elijah and Moses, no. Those are dead men in the natural, but they're alive. Do you understand? You will live for eternity one way or another. And God is looking at this divine timeline, which includes your eternal being continuing and participating. Okay. I'm just going to keep going. Thank you, Jesus. Generational legacy, that was point number one. Generational legacy requires revelation. Say revelation. Generational legacy requires an eternal perspective. Point number two. Say eternal perspective. Because he says, Mark 12, 26, in the Passion, Jesus said, Now concerning the resurrection, haven't you read in the Torah what God said to Moses at the burning bush? I am the living God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He did not say, I was the God of Abraham. He doesn't say, when Abraham lived, I was his God. He says, I am. Are you getting this? He didn't say, I was the God of Isaac. He said, I am. He said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That was after they passed away. So you understand the timeline. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, gone. Moses is at the burning bush. 
for Moses to hear that, he has to hear that, oh, those men are alive. Is anyone following me? Are we okay? All right. God said that to Moses after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had physically died. So Jesus was dismantling their argument that there is no resurrection from the dead by mentioning those three generations. Jesus was showing that the point of raising from the dead is not to receive what you had in this life, but to join in the eternal legacy of God and his plans for the earth. It's not about rewards in heaven because you did stuff here. It's about joining the eternal landscape of his will. Storing up treasures in heaven is good. I'm not upset about that. But it shouldn't be at the expense of passing down heavenly treasure to earth. Are you hearing me? Do you see how backwards we've got it? I just can't wait to get to heaven, get my mansion, hang out with my feet up. No. Did you know you're called to fight the fight of faith and that your fight of faith is never just for you? Our fight of faith is not for us. Hebrews 11, it mentions, we're not going to read that passage yet, but it mentions this. It mentions the people who followed God by faith and were commended for it. I don't have time to read the passage. You should read the whole thing this week. But Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. It says, by faith they, by faith they, by faith they. But their fight of faith was not just for they. It ends the passage this way, Hebrews 11, 33 through 40. It talks of these people, and it says, they, verse 33, who through faith, say through faith, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, listen, all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Did you hear that? Man, if we did any, like, half of that stuff, like, oh, put foreign armies to flight, just army come and you turn and say, no, and they turn around and run, man, that person's ministry would be booming. Their books would sell like crazy. Everybody would want to know, right? But this passage says that apart from us, they were never meant to be made perfect. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's a reference, that reference is to receiving Christ and the fulfillment of his kingdom to come, but it shows a generational principle and how God sees faith from an eternal perspective. It's to have a generational impact on the earth that lasts beyond us. Are you hearing me? And then that passage ends with that, and it goes into the next chapter. And it's, uh, it's, a, it's a letter. It's an expose. So uh, just, you know, remove the chapter markings. All right? It says, apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And then Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, therefore, say therefore. Whenever it says therefore, ask what it's there for. All right? It's saying Because apart from us, they were not meant to be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded. 
present tense, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's that? Everyone I just mentioned. Let us also lay aside every weight and every sin that clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We need to run our race well, but we need to understand we are not running just for us. We are running to pass the baton to those who will come after us. That word surrounded, just a little nerd out moment to bring levity to the room because I'm a Bible nerd, okay? And you got that look where I don't know if you're angry, confused, sad, mad, I don't know. It's just a weird look. I have yet to discern it. Maybe five, maybe six years in, I'll know what to do with it. But this is that moment. <laughs> the word surrounded is literally the word clothed in the Greek. Since we're clothed, to wear a garment, you're clothed. With the walk of Enoch. You're clothed with the faith of Abraham. You're wearing David right now, sister friend. All right? <laughs> Who are you wearing tonight? Oh, Joseph. <laughs> See all these colors? Since we are clothed, since we have it, since it's right there on our skin, let us also run with endurance, finishing our race, but not finishing the race. It says the race marked out for us. It doesn't say finishing the end of the race. We have this escapist, oh, Jesus is coming back in two seconds, and you better repent of all your sins, or you ain't going with him mentality. And God is saying, I'm doing three generations deep all the time. Get with the program. I know, like chronologically, you want to make it fit. You want to make it all make sense. It's not going to happen. We lean not on our understanding we acknowledge him in all our ways. We don't throw our brain out, right? But we lean not on our, what we understand with our brain. We acknowledge him. God wants to shift his church from building selfishly to creating lasting generational legacy. God wants us to have a vision for our family that we will never fully participate in, except from the cloud of witnesses. Are you hearing this? Is this expanding you? Are you thinking a little differently? If your family vision ends when you end, that's not a family vision from the heart of God. Proverbs actually says a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So are you going to be a good man or not? And that's talking about money. Yes, money. I don't, I don't want to be, you know, rich. I don't want to, I just have enough for me. You're so selfish, it stinks. You're thinking about you and your needs right now. You are not thinking about generational legacy in the heart of God. I rebuke that poverty mindset right out your brain into the garbage can. You can leave it there. God wants to have a vision for our family. Us to have it that we will never fully participate in the natural. 
God wants us to have a vision for our ministries that go beyond us and bless more people than we ever could in a single lifetime. God wants us to be building businesses that create kingdom impact for people who will never walk the earth at the same time as us. He's the God of generations. I'm asking you today, are you going to be a people that thinks generationally? Are we going to, therefore, be imitators of God? We need to receive revelation of his word, his power, and the eternal perspective of God to see his full will come to pass. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have to start thinking three generations later. I'm thinking about Judah's grandchildren. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in the lives of Judah's grandchildren. My firstborn. Do you see how selfish our prayers have become? <laughs> no more selfishly thinking of me and mine. We must build for the passing on of legacy into our physical and spiritual family lines. That's how God's calling us to build. That's who this people will be because we serve the God of generations. Amen. Would you stand? I apologize for my speed and my pace, but I want to honor your time today. <laughs> we do have a prayer team this morning, and if you're here and you're like, I don't even know, like, what this dude's talking about. <laughs> Who is Jesus? Or you're like, I heard of that guy, but I never heard of that, that version of that guy. I don't know. Jesus is God. Amen? Come on, somebody. Jesus is God. Amen? He became a man. He lived a perfect life. He was the best dude ever. And he died a horrible death for your sins, not for his own. For my sins, never for his own, because he didn't have any. He resurrected from the grave and now is in heaven calling all of his children back home. And my question to you today is, do you want to come home to your real father? Or do you want to stay out in the cold, shivering and scared? God is calling you home. If you've never come home to Jesus, today is your day. And this team over here is here to receive you for that. And for everyone else, you have pain in your body. If you're just, you can't even, you're like, I don't even, I don't even know how to begin to think generationally. Don't just walk out the door. Pray with someone. Ask for revelation. We need revelation, right, of the word of God and of the power of God. So come and ask prayer for that. Say, help me. Let's ask God for revelation of his word and his power so that I can step into this. Come receive prayer. Amen? Amen. And if that's not, that's not for you, that's okay. Just go and chew on this. Go and sit with it. Go and ask God. Ask him, how can I expand my thinking to be generational legacy instead of single generational selfishness? Amen? Amen. Was this helpful to anyone? Okay. Amen. Amen. That's what I want to, I just, I'm just here to help. Seriously, that's my heart. I'm here to help. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your mission. Your mission, they're sending us to build. I feel a, a sending in the spirit to go, arise, and build. But not building for us. Building what will never truly uh, reap the reward of, but our children will. Thank you, God. We, come, on, come on, church. We say yes to your mission. We say yes to building that way. God, I feel your heart today. I feel your plumb line. I feel you saying this is the truth. And I thank you, God, for the correction. God, we receive the correction from Jesus this morning and his word. We receive it. Make us straight. 
wherever we're crooked, make us straight, Lord. We thank you, God, for the heart, the the compassion of Jesus that I feel in this moment, that hopefully you're feeling, for those who do not yet know you, that they also would be invited by our legacy attempts, that even those, we would lead people to the Father after we are physically passed on. We love that thought, Lord Jesus. Let our evangelism reach beyond our lifespan, through our ministry, through our workplace, through our families, God. We thank you, Lord, for your heart and your care and your comfort right now, saying you want to come around us. I feel your arm around us saying this is how we should do it. This is how you build a community. We receive your care and your comfort, God. And, Lord, we thank you for revelation from your word, for teaching us and instructing us, saying "This this is the way, so walk in it. Lord, we receive your ways today. Come on, church. We receive your ways. We receive your teaching. We receive your mission, we receive your correction, we receive your heart, we receive your comfort, and we receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from The Resting Place Tampa. We hope you feel honored, empowered, and full of faith because of what you hear. And we would love to see you at a gathering soon. For more resources like this, head to trpfamily.org.